We are the Evening Explorationists. Please, allow me to show you something. Welcome to an episode where two average and definitely unqualified college students analyze and reflect on lessons in literature and relate them to past, present, and future experiences. Check out our website in the description to find out more about your Evening Explorationists. You just tackled a long day. You get up in your room, prepare for the next day, then lay down on your bed. You finally have a few minutes alone, alone from the conversations, the media, and the world as you know it. But yet you still can't sleep, as tiring as your day was. The visions of the day reoccur and develop different outcomes and generate worries for the next day. Now why does our mind all of a sudden decide to work twice as hard as it did during the day to recreate interactions and form new anxieties about the next day? And even then, how do we quiet that racing brain? Hey, it's Nate. And hey, it's Cody. And in this episode, we will be talking about the book Why Smart People Hurt by Eric Maso. Now, this book discusses this idea of the racing brain syndrome and how uh, we can combat it. And despite the title, we have developed a way for any overthinker to relate. And this is part one of a two-part series. Yeah, so the book is really really jargon-oriented psychology book. Um, however, Cody and I have found a way to not necessarily dumb it down, but kind of simplify it so that really anybody that overthinks um, can relate to it. So smart people, as they define, is someone who constantly solves problems. Um, smart people struggle immensely more with problems than most other people, ironically. Um, yet they find a way to get through them at all costs, except when it comes to the scale of the universe and purpose. Now stick with me. People cannot question belief, religion, purpose, the universe, and all universal answers without growing sad due to the vastness of the incomprehensible answers that lie far away. As a result, people become a mystic or someone who believes in the possibility of attaining knowledge from a deity, um, where instead of accepting that they have little knowledge of the universe, they pretend as if the answers are in religion or logic. Quote, there is an emergency here, often an existential emergency as the individual stares at nothingness and is petrified by the view. Quote. This is where the racing brain comes into play. We, we then begin to run from the feeling of boredom right, and, and not knowing the answer or doing nothing to the point where our brain just conjures up scenarios, schemes, uh, activities, or, or desire. I know I live with a racing brain, uh, and it honestly doesn't show off. I mean, if you think about it, racing brain is is categorized as someone who spends six to eight hours a day solving problems. They come home, and there's really no way to turn it off. And and honestly, I attribute most of my anxiety from that. <laughs> Nate, this relates to uh, a conversation that you and I had the other day um, regarding stress and how uh, stress kind of overtakes our mind, and we stress about things that don't necessarily uh, aren't necessarily important to us. So you gave me the example of uh, someone that you know um, who was stressing about um, a run that they had to go on uh, with their sports team. And it's this idea that we we stress so much about things that aren't necessarily important to us. And we, we kind of came to this, uh, not conclusion, but we t- had talked about how, because Maybe, maybe this relates to this idea that smart people care more often, which then relates to uh, this idea of caring about things that they don't need to, and then in turn creates stress and overthinking and anxiety, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, no, and, and to, to kind of provide a listener for what the conversation was about, someone had said, 
Why do we stress over nothing? Here in my journal, I wrote, well, what is stress? You know, stress is the pressure or feeling generated from pressure. And since it's a feeling, it's really too, too complex to find the why, the what, and the how. And then we have to think about nothing. I mean, what means nothing to us? Why do we stress over nothing? Is it something that truly we don't care about? If so, why would we even think, think about it if we don't care about it? No, nothing, nothing is a word to describe a fear that has been conquered. And you're looking back on it in hindsight, that, that fear was too easy. So for this example, say you were fearful of you know, this run you prepare for. And, and in that run, you're fully immersed with, with the exercise and your heart pounding and your breath, hearing your breath. Um, and then you get out and say, that was nothing. In this context, why was I so stressed for that run? It was nothing. If you find yourself stressed over that run, do it, then it seemed elementary, then the stress was that motivation to get it done. Then the moment, the stress builds this hollow character uh, you know, of this run as, as fear and, and a mountain that seems way too steep to climb, yet you run it. Thanks to the stress, you've climbed the mountain, and you reflect and recognize that the issue was generated by your problem-solving brain, and in this context, you, know, you overanalyze it to the point where you got stressed over it, right? And in this case, it honestly helps. And so I really think that was a good relation back to the racing brain. It's, I feel like it's sometimes hard though, because like, yes, you can turn this stress into like this idea of mindfulness and turn it into motivation. But then what happens if the stress kind of overtakes your mind and it's, it's outpacing you on that run in your mind and you're still stressed. And I, uh, I know you have a couple ideas written down here. I just wanted to see what you had to say. Yeah, and there's this concept called mania. Um, it's, quote, a racing brain driven by a certain powerful pressure, need, or impulse, quote. Mania occurs when you have a project, say, painting a wall at your house where you have a mindset that turns from that wall should be painted to, to that wall must get painted at all costs. Now, this, this does relate to stress, right? That stress just overtakes you, like you had said. And mania is the foot on the pedal that is driving your racing brain and can be the root for stress or anxiety of the pressure of getting something done, when all you can do is simply focus on this one project and nothing else in life matters. I want to give a personal example. I know um, after we have some friends over, um, I go into go mode. I call it go mode, <laughs> but it's really just where I spend an hour, half hour, just deep cleaning everything because I can't, I can't get out of that zone. Once, once I'm in the cleaning zone, you know, I don't want to do it again, but once I'm in it, I mean, I get stuff done. So that stress also uh, applies to that mania too. And the pain from anxiety and overthinking in this example too, is not always pain. And say you are working on that project or activity that excites you to the point where you want to get back to work as soon as you put your pencil down or close your computer. Even in that rush of excitement and fun, that rush, your mind has jumped to a higher gear, now revving up that racing brain. And all of a sudden, you're living in the future or wanting to be somewhere else. And you live out of the moment. Now, now we have to question, this, this might get a little deep, but are you in control of yourself or is your unhinged brain in control of yourself? Now, Nate, with a with a perspective that doesn't necessarily have this like constant racing brain, um, I, I think it's easy for me to say that you can't really overcomplicate the thought of the future. Instead, uh, you should enjoy the present and live it and love it. Now, how would you go about uh, the thought of the future with this constant racing brain? Uh, because, like I said, I, I just want to hear a new perspective. Yeah, and there's really no perfect way to quiet your excitement. I mean, it is an emotion, right? 
The important thing here is to be mindful, and we'll go into mindfulness techniques in, in how to kind of understand that and accept that, that you can't really control your brain sometimes. It's your over-analytical parts is just a chemical imbalance. That's all it is. And to state the obvious in this context, we're not perfect, so therefore we're not designed. And as a result, we are work in progress. And we'll refer to this as an experimental brain in that we are simply learning about our perception of life as time goes on, right? So being able to come to terms that perfection is quite perfectly uh, inconceivable is the key to be able to learn more since you have what we call an open mind. If you look around, you will see constant comparison to others' brains, status, power, friendship, and in the case of the book, intelligence. If you're constantly comparing, you aren't analyzing yourself, right? You're not being mindful of yourself. You're not being mindful of this racing brain. You're allowing these thoughts to take over, you know, everything that you do. And you're focusing on someone else's personality, which that's that's honestly a negative. The, the idea of perfectionist comes up a lot, uh, especially especially in young kids. And, and I don't think we, we've, like, noticed that a lot as a society where... Um, these children are so pushed to their limits that whenever they get older, they have these ideas of they have to be perfect at everything. And then they get to college and they're unaware of how to fail. And I think this idea of how to fail is super important, which we can talk about later. But uh, for me in the past, I have had lots of perfectionist thoughts. Um, I, in my position in soccer, uh, the team relies on me. If, if, a, if a goal goes in, that's my fault. If, uh, if something goes wrong, it typically comes back to uh, my fault. He's a goalie, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, and it's not even just with sports. It came with school. Like I couldn't get the reading down, and I would all like I would go to the extent of getting so frustrated that I would just go in my room and cry. And I was like, oh my gosh, these these perfectionist thoughts they they ravage your mind, and it's and it's pretty it's crazy. Now now that I've grown and I've come to college and I've stepped out of my comfort zone and I've learned uh, about new opportunities and new leadership experiences, I, I've come to terms with not necessarily being the best at everything I'm doing. And for example, there are going to be students and peers that are always going to be exceeding those expectations that you set for yourself. And that's okay. Because as long as you're doing the best that you can and have no regrets about what you are trying to fulfill, then you're going to be okay. And the takeaway message here is do the best that you can and you will be fulfilled. And it's easy as that. Yes, it is very easy as that. Or is it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, no. I mean, great for someone that doesn't have a racing brain, right? Like, it seems like you may have part of it figured out, but... You know, from my perspective, I would love to not be a perfectionist. Honestly, I would I would love to just turn off my brain and just be in the moment, right? But and this isn't a solution, right? It's a way to deal with it, is is mindfulness. And and the book says, quote, it is the individual exposing the situation to himself and for himself, announcing that he must wrest control of his mind and his life, and practicing techniques conventionally called mindfulness techniques. Quote. That's basically saying to be the best version of you, you have to be mindful of yourself, right? And this isn't the same mindfulness that we're talking about, you know, goal setting and, and doing. This is about just knowing and accepting your brain doesn't turn off. The maniac tries to outrun a racing brain by feeding it the stress, the perfection, and the pressure it so desires. 
But the one who implements these mindfulness techniques, as I had mentioned, will be more accepting and calmer in the face of mania or a racing brain. Understand that with our experimental brains, we cannot turn off this racing brain. That's the bottom line. And when people do, it'll result in avoidance or more pain. This mindfulness assists in a more peaceful sleep. I know insomnia is one of the great things that I've had to deal with. Not extreme to the point where I literally can't fall asleep, but you know, a few hours at a time where thoughts are just racing through my brain. There was a study done by Cynthia Gross, who has a PhD from Yale in biostats, and her colleagues at the University of Minnesota. Um, they found that after eight weeks of mindfulness training, the participants that cultivated these techniques had fallen asleep quicker and gotten more long-term sleep benefits than the medication group that they also surveyed. Now, this is a psychology book, so they're obviously going to go for a little more um, brain first than medication, but I think this is important to realize. I mean, this is all attainable, and you don't have to go to a doctor for it. And Before bed is one of the most prevalent pace places where I think for someone that doesn't have a racing brain notices their brain might be running on a full tank. And it's it's even more prevalent in this idea of wellness and uh, this complete idea of mindfulness, this and so for me, there is a strong importance of winding down in a nightly routine. So for me, at 10 o'clock, no matter how much work I had or have still yet to do, I am putting away all electronics and homework and do the same thing every night, which creates this idea of comfortability. And it seizes the brain of thought because your next step in the routine, the thing that you're thinking about is getting ready for bed and preparing clothes for the next day. That's something that I do that uh, slows the brain down and uh, I seize that racing brain uh, because despite me not having a constant racing brain before bed, I, I do often feel that man, like I'm so tired at five o'clock, but as soon as I lay down in bed at 1030, I, I know I'm wide awake. I know it's ridiculous. No, I think that that mindfulness is actually, it's difficult. Right. And, and I think creating a schedule actually really helps. And right. You can always think about mindfulness. You think about meditating. I mean, you can meditate for an hour in the morning and then you go get bullied at work or whatever, and then come home and try and sleep. I mean, you're still mindful technically in that case where where it seems like the situation and the thoughts throughout your, before you go to bed, the thoughts from your day, your good night's sleep is most likely attributed to that situation, not really insomnia. And as a result, and I know you said make a schedule, but also look to make changes you'll find in those mindfulness opportunities to get yourself out of those sad, anxious, or emotionally taxing situations that you are fully aware you're not happy in, yet you persist is another reason that you are avoiding. In fact, you cannot switch off your racing brain. You can only deal with it, right? So I have some mindfulness exercises that the book says um, that you also might find may put a speed limit on your brain. Number one, treat your brain right. Silencing screens, stop drinking, and implement discipline. This way, you can get, be in control at all times and focus on yourself, who you are, even creating a schedule. I think that's a great, great start for, for discipline. Now, I did mention the downside of meditating, but it, the second one is meditate, you know, sit and contemplate yourself without about what you want to be, who you want to be, what goal you want to reach. And actually, you don't even have to think about your goals if you haven't meditated on them. You actually have to sit down and ask yourself, where do I want to go? Number three, be kind to yourself. This perfectionist idea and the self-torture over over a mistake leads to self-doubt and low confidence. And that why, that's why such smart people always are not super social. 
Invest yourself. Work outside the, the job or the mandatory. You're not really designed to go to college, get drunk, get C's, get a bachelor, do a 9 to 5, retire at 65, and die at 80. In fact, you're not designed at all, right? So why continue with the mandatory? Why stick to the script of an easy way and a lack of discipline? Why not contemplate your potential and what you could be doing for yourself? Put those racing brain, those racing brain thoughts into perspective and put them into work so that you're thinking about more positive things and put more effort into your mental health. Quiet your mind, increase your knowledge, and update your personality. And as you can see, these are merely coping methods with the racing brain, right? And the key is something much more than being mindful. But we'll discuss that in the next episode. <laughs> Cody, do you have any uh, mindfulness activities to add? I mean, well, besides your schedule? Well, before I go into what I have to say, I want to comment on uh, your note here about um, investing in yourself. And I think, wow, it's super important. Why continue with the mandatory? I really like that. And I think uh, I think we should do... An, a further episode on oh, yeah. uh, on that and investing in yourself and doing what you can um, and kind of you know sum up all these uh, ideas of um, that we've talked about in our podcast so far but I like that. Um, so for me um, it's it's difficult because I don't necessarily follow through with like specific meditation so for me whenever I get bored or I my brain starts to to rush I I think about the future. So I'm sitting down doing work, writing out emails, uh, researching, doing whatever. But then if I get bored and my head starts spinning, I'm like, all right, these are like, this is what I'm aiming for. So it, it brings me back down to, okay, do the work now. And then we aim towards uh, the future. And that's what we're working towards. That sounds all well and good. But I have a question for you. If you're always thinking about the future and your goals, right, and, and who you want to be in the future, philosophically, are you living in the present or the future? Personally, I think I'm still living in the future. Or living oh, in the future. Oh, man. You just ruined my point. <laughs> living in the present. There you go. Uh, because I, I'm sitting here doing work. And I'm living it and I'm understanding it. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm loving it because I hate reading about the Roman army in the second century. But hear me out. So if I'm, if I'm reading and doing that, I'm living in the present. But these small glimpses and small breaks are just a fraction of the time in the present. So I'm goal setting in my time of uh, boredom and those small breaks that I take. So I'm sitting here writing, writing, writing. Okay, I can't do this anymore. Think about it. Oh, okay, this is why we're doing it, and then go back to re like continuing the work. That's a, yeah, that's awesome. And I think you know, as someone who does meditate, you know, personally, the meditation practice is your mind wanders off, and then you bring it back to your focus of, of your breath. And I think that that's also kind of what. Cody's doing is when he works during the day, his breaks are, are, you know, his mind wanders off, but then he brings it back. Okay, now that I'm bored, I'm going to think about the future, you know, and, and I think that's really what we should be doing is having those racing brain thoughts, you know, again, putting like speed, speed limits on it and, and arrows to kind of point it in the right direction. Always, always bring it back. So when you're, you're in that state where you just can't stop thinking, right? Do a mindfulness exercise. When your brain goes so wide, bring it back to narrow, 
right? And use those anxiety-provoking thoughts and that stress that we talked about in the beginning to do something better with your time. That's just my advice. Yeah, and I think if you if you take those mindfulness mindfulness exercises and relate them to what you're doing currently. So say you are doing some homework, you are stressed about stressed out about something and your mind starts to wander, you you have that opportunity to you start at the peak of the wandering and then you fall down and then relate it back to what you were doing prior and it kind of it's it's this healthy transition and a natural um, working through of the brain, and I think it, it creates a more effective uh, small brain break, if you will, and creates more produ- productivity and uh, a more successful outcome of the racing brain. Right. And, you know, I just want to end with saying I have experienced a lot of situations where the book goes over, right? And I mentioned that a lot. A, a racing brain throughout the day, you know, anxieties, avoidance, mania, and stress, all on a daily basis. Yet, Personally, I found writing to be my way to accept, not necessarily accept, but work through all of these experiments my brain is doing. You know, I've I've written the goods, the bads, the highs, the lows, and what works and what doesn't, and ultimately doing an experiment on my own. I've taken this idea to teach fellow students at the college I attend. I'm actually leading several workshops to promote mindfulness journaling and how it helps a perspective in goal-setting relationships and mental and physical health. Now, all this bragging has a point, all right? All this bragging to say, as a person with severe racing brain syndrome and mania, which ironically used to write this podcast script, um, writing has been the most beneficial way to live with your thoughts and put a speed limit on them. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, Cody provided a great example of someone who doesn't have racing brain and the way he's just been able to act. And I think I've provided a sufficient example um, of how someone who does express a racing brain, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and it's no matter where you fall on this like spectrum of the racing brain, uh, I think anyone can come in and relate because we all have to take breaks and we're all thinking about the future and we're all getting bored and we all have these racing thoughts. So I think everyone that is listening can you know somehow relate. Right, and I think the evening explorationists have sold out. We've gone commercial because we have a cliffhanger. Yet, we have not answered the question of how to silence that racing brain, and there is a way. Stay tuned for part two to find the answer. But that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to Evening Explorationists, and we'll talk to you next time.